Consequence Podcast Network. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unterstall. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I'm Mike Snoonian. I, I feel like I need to dance. and I need to redo my name. I'm Jen Adams. Yay. <laughs> well, that I feel like that, a that's a pretty good precedent. <laughs> and this is how this episode is going to go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hello. We are continuing our July theme of phobias. Now I have to put snake sounds on every S word. <laughs> it's going to be a delight I'm to edit. Sorry. <laughs> if... If if you're a new listener and you've come to us because you've heard we provide like a thoughtful, <laughs> empathetic, sincere take on mental health issues, today I would go through the back catalog for a little bit. <laughs> it's not the one to begin with. Back. Maybe check so. out our invitation episode. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but we are going to have some fun today. And, um, you know. We've been covering a lot of really heavy stuff over this year and kind of lightening it up just a little bit. We're still talking about phobias. Uh, we discussed the difference between fears and phobias and the way they can affect our lives in our previous episode on Jaws. <laughs> Sorry, that turned into a B. Okay, I'm going to have to watch that. So uh, make sure to check that out if you have not already. But today, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about treatment for phobias and we're also going to talk about a truly bonkers movie. We are talking about Snakes on a Plane. We sure are. We sure are. <laughs> Someone asked, did we lose a bet? <laughs> right. I think that was Yeah. I feel like we've won a bet, y'all. <laughs> um, but before we do, we're going to give a brief synopsis in case you haven't seen Snakes on a Plane or it's been a while. And it's okay if you have not seen this movie and you don't plan to. We will tell you what happens. I get it if you don't want to watch this movie. But you know what? I've had enough of these motherfucking spoilers on this motherfucking pod. I'm sorry. <laughs> Somebody had to say it. I know. All right. We open on the beach in Hawaii where people surf and frolic. Jack Johnson plays on the radio and the movie really lets you know the year is 2006. <laughs> Next, we see a guy doing some sick motocross. His name is Sean and he seems pretty cool. Until he gets into some hot water. <laughs> by, by witnessing mobster Edward Kim murdering a high-profile prosecutor. He flees the scene on his sick motorcycle. <laughs> but the gangsters see him. I'm doing a lot of that hand, like that rip it yeah. hand gesture mm -hmm. this whole time. Just FYI, it's happening the entire time. I feel like it's coming across in your yeah. narration. Yeah. yeah, good, good. The mobsters, gangsters, whatever, track him back to his apartment. But luckily, somehow. Samuel, somehow, right. we don't, it, it, I'm just, I'm going to do some logical jumps here. <laughs> luckily, Samuel Jackson saves the day. He's Agent Neville Flynn, 
FBI. <laughs> Back at the federal building, Flynn and another agent convince Sean to be the key witness against Eddie Kim. But don't worry, they'll protect him. Mm-hmm. Now we meet our cast of wacky characters. Claire is a flight attendant on her final flight, so we know some shit's about to go down. Famous rapper 3G's and his bodyguards are signing autographs at the airport. 3G's is a germaphobe and pioneer of the personal Purell bottle. <laughs> Lynn Shay is a flight attendant. What up, Lynn Shea? So are an attractive man and woman who play tertiary roles in the film. Look, there's a lot of ground to cover here. It doesn't matter. The male flight attendant is implied to be gay. And we get a bunch of homophobic jokes about that. The female also becomes a love interest to Sean. Whatever. Okay, moving on. Yep. The pilot- <laughs> Just trying to get the power through this. The pilot Rick is the kind of boss who will get hashtag me too'd in about a decade. The feds, led by Agent Flynn and their star witness, take over first class, which is on the second floor of the plane. Because this plane has a staircase? What the hell? <laughs> All the fancy pants travelers thus have to fly in coach, which is still bizarrely huge. There's three G's and his bodyguards, Mercedes the rich girl with a dog in her purse, a mean British guy that does a bunch of unnecessarily nasty things so we can enjoy watching him get killed by snakes, etc., etc. After a bunch of dumb interactions and some flirting between Claire and Agent Flynn, we get to see a horny couple have sex in the plane bathroom. <laughs> One of them is Riggins from Friday Night Lights. It's delightful. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, yes, I've never see- seen that. He's hot. That's my commentary. (laughs) Well, the boobs come out, and you know what that means. It's snake o'clock, motherfuckers. A snake kills them while they's fuckins. Fuckins? Yep, I pluralized I buy it. You know, anything goes in this movie, I feel like. It really does. It really does. Snakes explode out of boxes in the cargo hold, killing a cat. Not the last furry animal death in this one, sadly. Mm-hmm. CGI snakes are everywhere. They're in the cabin. They're crawling all over people's feet. Then a snake eats some guy's dick. No dick or joke required. His, just a snake eating a dick. As he calls it, his big boy. <laughs> yes. yes. Don't worry, there's an even bigger boy coming. Uh, <laughs> chaos ensues. <laughs> to make matters worse, the plane is flying into some turbulence. Rick, the terrible pilot, accidentally deploys the oxygen masks, creating holes for millions of snakes to fall through the ceiling. That's right, more snakes. Everyone is out of their seat trying to avoid the snakes, and they get slammed all over the place. After a mad dash through the plane, the passengers put a luggage barrier between the people and the snakes. A pair of children are on the plane without their parents, an older brother and a little brother, and in the chaos, the little boy gets bit. For some reason, he's not immediately dead. As you'll see, the snake logic is flexible. (laughs) Lynn Shea proves herself amazing as she breaks through the barrier to save a crying baby. She gets bit, though, and it's not looking good. Mm. Flynn's partner has a fear of snakes. I have a fitophobia! I have a fitophobia, he says (laughs) in the dialogue, while surrounded by snakes. But it also turns out he was bit by a ton of snakes and dies. And he was only one day from retirement. (laughs) Rick, the repulsive pilot, explains that they have to fight snakes and also not crash the plane in the most disgusting way possible. Agent Flynn has surmised that this must all be the doing of that bad, bad man, Eddie Kim, with the goal of bringing the whole plane down to kill motocross witness Sean. 
That is honest to God. Like if you need like what was two thousand six like that sentence? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is really it. distilled to its to to its <laughs> finest to the the pure musk of two thousand six. <laughs> it's just all over the place in this mm. movie. Meanwhile, Neville's man on the ground, Agent Hink, is mobilizing a team of snake experts. The young mother does a pretty cool trick with olive oil and a razor blade to suck out the poison from a little boy's snake bite. Cue some early 2000s humor to unnecessarily sexualize this moment. <laughs> Back on the ground, Agent Hank has intercepted a snake nerd. He knows about snakes. <laughs> I think I called him Snake Hooper in my yeah, original. Yes, yes. <laughs> you did. <laughs> he would be like Ben uh, Richard Lewis. Am I, is it Richard Lewis Dreyfus or am I? It's Richard Dreyfus. I'm yeah, Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. Richard, Richard Dreyfus yeah. in thirty years, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Richard, Richard Snake Dreyfus. Yes, hundo percent. There was Snake Pilsen Dreyfus. What? <laughs> Never mind. I don't know. We're I mean, just just make it stop. Okay. <laughs> Through this exposition, we learn snakes don't attack unless provoked. Together, they deduce that something provoked the snakes, and via phone calls with Agent Flynn, that there's a bunch of different types of snakes on the plane. Which means if they manage to land, they need like 50 different types of exotic anti-venom to save people's lives and yada, 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 snake stuff. <laughs> Luckily, Rich Lady Mercedes has a camera phone and it can send emails too. What, what is this? Some kind of smartphone? <laughs> they take pics of the snakes so the snake expert can figure out which anti-venoms they need. Rick, the hostile work environment pilot, gets attacked by snakes and thrown into the cargo hold. The plane plummets to Earth. <laughs> the drink cart rolls down the aisle, taking out all the snake barriers. A bunch of more people die. It's sad. It is. It is. is, it, is it? This is a total shift in the movie here. What were you going to say, right. Mike? <laughs> Is it sad? He's questioning our sadness. Oh, he's the honeymoon couple. It was the honeymoon couple with the neurotic man, and he yeah. flew. I didn't mention them. It's fine. Nothing. It doesn't. None of this matters. Okay. <laughs> now a supersized, extra thick snake is on the loose. <laughs> we call him Big Boy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the snares collapse. Oy vey. <laughs> the British asshole takes one look at Big Boy Snake. And grabs Mercedes' dog and feeds it to him or her. I don't know what the snake's gender is. <laughs> that fucking prick. He then immediately gets anaconda squeezed to death and swallowed whole. Bye, Felicia. That's <laughs> 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 some tip, some timely humor for you uh, about this timely movie. Nice. Okay. Agent Flynn and Claire finally manage to pull the plane up, barely avoiding an ocean crash. Everyone's upstairs now, and the passengers use an inflatable life raft to block the stairs. Rick, Rick, the pervert, Rick the pervert pilot emerges from the cargo hold, all bit up but still alive and ready to fly slash sexually harass the crew. Every time he opens his mouth, literally. It's like literally every line. It's like, can we just have a moment to breathe, Rick, please? Right. Turns out all these snakes are from all over the globe, and it's really hard to get anti-venom for all of them. Only one guy could arrange all this shit. He lives in the desert. <laughs> Sadly, he does not turn out to be Joe Exotic. Oh. <laughs> God, I mean, how great would it have been if they just had the foresight? Right. This was just a guy and it was just Joe Exotic. Yeah. Okay. And then when we get a scene of him getting sucked out of the airplane, yeah. the cockpit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 15 years from now, our AARP versions of ourselves are going to be summarizing <laughs> a movie and we're going to make a reference to like Joe Exotic being the quixotic. Qu 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 
person. Quixotic. Thank you. I can't <laughs> pronounce words. This, which is a well-known thing. I've gotten reviews about my inability to pronounce basic words. Um, <laughs> it's going to be like Joe Exotic, like at the time capsule that was like 2020 and 20. Yeah, it's going to, I don't even mm-hmm. want to think about that fucking you know I mean? time capsule. Now he's oh, a Lord. three-term president in the year 2035. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he survived oh, COVID. He got out of prison. He's like in a bio suit. Yeah. Uh, the bio suit has the ocean. tattoos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good. Back on the plane. They realize no air is flowing and they'll soon suffocate to death. Flynn has to go reset the breaker in the cargo hold, which is, you guessed it, full of snakes. <laughs> Lynn Shea dies. It sucks. Mm. Flynn manages to reset the breaker and turn the air on. Hooray! But there are tons of snakes on his trail now. He fights them off. Back on the ground, the snake mystery is resolved. They've caught their snake guy. They used pheromones to make the snakes the snakes. <laughs> <laughs> they've used pheromones to make the snakes go ape shit and they all get all the antivenoms or whatever 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 yeah it's almost time to land and things are looking up but it turns out a massive snake is flying the plane just kidding that doesn't happen <laughs> i think Ray- rick got snake killed while they were all busy being happy i honestly don't remember who gives a shit uh is there anyone here who knows how to fly a plane Troy, one of 3G's bouncers slash friends, does. Also, it's Kenan Thompson. Yay. <laughs> Yay. It's time for Samuel L. Jackson to say the thing. Let's do it all together now. I've, I've had, had it. With it. These, these motherfucking, motherfucking snakes, snakes on this motherfucking, motherfucking plane. plane. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, we said Yay. the thing. <laughs> say it one more time. Okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Okay. <sighs> Everyone straps into their seats while Agent Flynn prepares to pull an alien move. He shoots out some windows and the snakes are sucked out of the depressurized cabin. It's kind of cool. Definitely one of the better sequences in the movie. (laughs) Now they have to land the plane. Uh Uh-oh. But turns out there's now an even bigger hole in the plane. People are getting sucked out as well. The raft dam breaks and all the snakes start getting sucked out. Troy, meanwhile, in the cockpit, is landing the plane. But it turns out ex- experience is in video games only. PlayStation oh. 2. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> but he's still the most experienced one on board. They brace for landing. It's close, but he manages to land the plane and not crash. Hooray. Hooray. Whose house is it? Troy's, Troy's house. It's, Troy, it's, Troy, it's Troy's house. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fuck Randy. <laughs> Fuck Randy. Fuck my own brother. That was that was fun. Keenan Thompson is just, he's funny. He's yeah. a funny guy. Flynn has a nice moment with motocross Sean, who has done very little this entire time, (laughs) but Sean gets bit at the last minute. Then Samuel has to shoot him. Samuel? Okay. (laughs) I look, I don't know. Flynn has to shoot him, but it turns out he had a snake slash bulletproof vest on, so it's fine. Again, whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The male flight attendant that was gay-coded throughout the film turns out to have a super hot girlfriend. LOL, just some more early 2000s humor for you. Don't you love it? You have to love it. You're legally obligated to love it. (laughs) Flynn and Claire make plans to have dinner. Sean and the other female flight attendant exchange numbers and a kiss. Everyone is horny as hell. Point break time. Samuel L. Jackson and motocross boy go surf this is where the notes got a little mess i saw oh yeah i, you know, <laughs> I, I still like editing. stream of consciousness yeah. yeah it's all good Th- those two go mo- surfing in hawaii the film really misses an opportunity to end by having them attacked by a shark right 
And if there wasn't already enough proof that this movie was made in 2006, we end with a truly unbearable airplane music video from some dashboard confessional type band. After Googling, we learned the band is called Cobra Starship because of course they were. <laughs> I mean, truly, I want to vomit watching this video. I, I, I want to tear my own skin off. I want to eat my skin uh, while bleeding yeah. to death. Uh, that's snakes on a plate. <laughs> Snakes on a plane. Snakes on a plane. Not and on that's a train. better than the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is better. I could... <laughs> you know what? I hadn't thought about that. They should have had them eaten by a shark at the end. That would no. have been that's amazing. So and no. totally just in a, character with the just, movie. Just no. A huge snark. Just a huge snark. Snark. Uh, I'm dying. I'm experiencing brain death. I, I see God. Okay, that may have been the most fun I've ever had with a recap, though. It's like the end of Martyrs. Like the end. Of, so, like the last thing you would see if this was the end of Martyrs is you would see like the ending of this movie, or you would just see it replay. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> this is what hell is, but maybe heaven. I don't know. Who can say? Right. Uh, so now <sighs> let's do our feelings check. <laughs> this is where we share our first experience with snakes on a plane and in a shocking reversal. I am the only one who had seen this movie before yep. the episode. Normally yes. it is the other way around. Um, so we're going to talk about our first experience with snakes on a plane and how it makes us feel when we watch it. And I just cannot wait to hear what <laughs> both of you think about this movie. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I feel like we've gotten our feelings out. Um, so yeah, this was the first time watch for me. I remember like Thursday night, and, you know, was like, hey, dad, let's watch something together. I'm like, you know, I got to watch this movie for the show. So why don't we throw this on for a little uh -oh. bit? And then I found myself fast forwarding a little bit through the boobies, boobies, boobies scene. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh oh, boo so, oh, boobies. <laughs> you know, um, and usually I wouldn't, but it was just so gratuitous that I it felt was dirty. Gratuitous. I'm like, I feel dirty. Watch. It wasn't even about her at that point. Yeah, I think what struck me the most is my God, this movie is 15 years old. It is, <laughs> it is longer than the iPhone. It predates the Obama presidency. I have lived one third of my life where snakes of a plane has somehow been a part of it. And <laughs> the way that that's our way, pull quote for the episode. <laughs> the way it makes me feel is it's really making me feel the oncoming rush of my own mortality. And yeah. I am somehow terrified. I am not kidding. I'm like, that is, it's, it's like, it's, it's just, gone by in a blank. It's like, oh my God. That's it. Just, just as boop in, a, in, a, in the flash of a twinkling of a snake on a plane in your eye. Oh. Yeah. That's so, life. <laughs> what I remember the most about this movie was the announcement of it and how ridiculously hyped it was mm -hmm. i mean this would have been a thing where like every entertainment site every movie message board everybody was like super hyped because you're going to get this absolutely ludicrous idea brought to life on screen and then the movie it sounded like so ridiculous that it would be impossible for the movie to not be like a total and complete blast of a b-movie the unfortunate problem with this movie is it seems like everybody involved with it wanted it like they were a little bit embarrassed that they were lowering themselves to doing a b movie i actually have a quote here from samuel l jackson when he was being you know kind of like excoriated a little bit online like dude why are you lowering yourself to this and he said he first signed on for it before he even saw the script because ronnie Yu, 
who uh, a South Korean filmmaker who did like Bride of Chucky and Freddy versus Jason, as well as some really cool Hong Kong action cinema. He was originally signed on to do it, but then he had left the project. He talked about why he did this movie. Uh, he defended it by saying, like, it was a kind of movie I would have gone to see when I was a kid. Further clarifying, I feel sorry for all those people that are going through the, that whole trip of, why would Samuel Jackson do something like this? And it's a lowbrow. It's a movie, motherfuckers. I threw the motherfuckers in because I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, Capturing the, you know, the spirit. You know. mm-hmm. People go to movies on Saturday to get away from the war in Iraq and taxes and election news and pedophiles online. And just that got dark on that last one. And just <laughs> yeah. go and have some fun. And I like doing movies that are fun. And I get that. Like, yes, I mm-hmm. actually agree with that sentiment. The problem was it seemed like once they got there to make this movie, they really pulled back on that sentiment and try to do. Yeah. Like, my first thought was like, why is this movie an hour and 45 minutes long? This should be yeah. 85 minutes. Like, right. everything that happens before they get on the plane, you can cut. You can 100%. just show them. So get on unnecessary. The plane. <laughs> so yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. Anything on the ground. I don't need anything but in the plane. Yeah. Maybe like boarding, Max, you know, like they're all boarding. Like- the only thing you need is like, you know, him bringing the Sean on the plane, like you're the witness and we took over first class. And then he explains why he's a witness to the very pretty flight attendant, Tiffany, later on. That's it. That's it. That's all you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. I would even take him addressing yeah. the camera and breaking the fourth wall and telling us that. I mean, that especially be because the beginning is pure exposition yeah. anyway. It's like... I'm a gangster and you're the prosecutor and I'm going to murder you. And he's like, yeah, damn you, Edward Kim, big time gangster. And it's like, you know, to your point, Jen, like you could start the movie with a giant snake flying at his face and it could be like, you might be asking yourself how I got here. That would be real. And then it's like the record scratch, (laughs) like fast forwards back. I would Mm -hmm. love that. Yeah. Yeah. Record scratch, freeze frame. Mm -hmm. It takes itself too seriously. It doesn't work as well as Grindhouse would a couple years later. In the ensuing years, you see like exploitation titles like Black Dynamite and Turbo Kid, Father's Day, all that do like a better job of like being fun B-movies. And I think what's funny is like the same Mm -hmm. year this come out, this comes out like James Gunn releases Slither, which comes out to far less fanfare and doesn't do anything at the box office but i think it's a movie that is better remembered now uh and has a pretty like avid fan base and has been kind of rediscovered because it knows and you know that's james gunn coming from trauma um knowing exactly the kind of movie that he wants to make yet it gets a fraction of the attention Mm -hmm. and it's like the best kind of wide release b movie of the year all right should have called it Slugs on a Woman. You could do that. There you go. <laughs> he would have like, gotten more attention. And what is a slug but baby snakes? It's all in the I've had it with these motherfucking yeah. snel- slugs, slugs on, on these snow. motherfucking what women. Is slug, <laughs> tiny, saltating snake. Yeah, a tiny, yeah. wet snake. <laughs> Hence the salt. All of that said, like one of the things we try to do in the pod and the pendulum is approach whatever movie we're doing in the context of the time it's released in. So this does feel like a product of the early 2000s. Like everything feels so disposable. Mm -hmm. There's like, there's no culture in the early 2000s. It's just a mishmash of like Mm -hmm. new metal and Janko shorts. Like that's the early 2000s. (laughs) The Jack Johnson Mm -hmm. song that we ease into, it's like a pretty solid metaphor for pop culture as a whole. Like it's in the background meant to be consumed, but not in spoon fed to you, but you're not meant to think about it in any way, shape or form. 
Um, and I actually think that might, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I just don't want anyone to add us, but I, it might not even be. It Jack may Johnson. not be because there were probably I think it's like, like a watered down yeah. Jack Johnson. You know, yeah. yeah I, like, it doesn't like, like all the details in this movie. No, it does. It does not, not matter. matter. Everything <laughs> is like a, a, a simulacrum, like an imitation right. of a, another thing. Yeah. Which is exactly what you're saying. You right. know, it's like case study. So, you know, it's background noise. It sounds pleasant. It doesn't make you think. There's like the casual homophobia in the movie that probably doesn't even register as homophobia to a lot of people watching this back in 2006. Oh, yeah, definitely glaring. not. It was like, that was funny then. It was just funny. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you're like, uh huh. And now you watch it and want mm-hmm. to die. Mm-hmm. It's like, I love the American Pie movies. Like, I think they're hilarious. But you watch that first one in the scene of like Nadia being filmed against their her consent and you're like ooh this is a conversation to have and they they even mm-hmm. said like there's no way if we thought about this like we would have in what would come later on down the road we ever would have included something like that in the movie mm-hmm. there's like the walking talking sexual harassment lawsuit in David Cochner's pilot character and David mm-hmm. and if it's Cochner or Cochner like he's an a fantastic comedian in this movie it's cockner it's cockner yeah. it's definitely all cockner all the time <laughs> i just call him todd packer yeah he's but let's see he's like he's todd packer he's the dude in the two anchorman movies he's the he's funny she, he's a funny he's I, I, there's a lot funny. of great performers in this movie actually the cast has got a lot yeah. of great folks in it yeah but for some reason and i've never heard anything untowards him like personally but he has mm-hmm. like a, a this archetype of like playing like He's like a sexual harassment lawsuit coming to life, you know, like he's he's mm-hmm. big, beefy and bald, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. he just makes you feel a certain kind of and way. He just looks like the kind of guy that was born looking like a 45 year old middle manager. Yes. Like he was like, if you mm-hmm. look at his first grade picture, it's his same head on like a much smaller <laughs> body at that point. Um, oh, big, you know, big headed, big pumpkin head. Called him big boy. I'm someone that I'm not always like fully cognizant of the male gaze in a movie. But this is like, even I'm like, this is the male gaziest of movies I think that I've ever. <laughs> there's it's up there. There's a woman in the movie whose whole role to be in it is like to make fun of the fact that she's overweight. Like that's her whole purpose. Yep. Yeah. It was like literally like I was like kind of on board with the three G's character mm-hmm. first. I'm like, oh, he's a germaphobe. He's like a neurotic mm-hmm. rapper. I like this character. And then he just like he just the woman walks on and he's like, oh, his baby got back front yeah. and side to side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like just I mean, and what are we doing I sometimes here? reflect on what the early 2000s did to me as a mm-hmm. young woman who was like a, t- a teen and a tween in, during this time period, like a tween to a teen. I should say in that order, it's not like a Benjamin Button situation, but like, <laughs> I mean, what a horrible time the early 2000s yeah. were truly. Anything good that happened in them happened in spite of it's it being ac- the it's early accidental. 2000s. It was accidental. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, compared to what was mainstream horror in 2006, this actually is a little bit of a breath of fresh air. So we're mm-hmm. right in the middle of like the torture porn boom. Like Rob Zombie mm-hmm. is launching his career, like House of a Thousand Corpses is out, Hostel is out with Eli Roth and who had come off a of cabin fever. The Saw movies are like that franchise is up and running. Horror is really bleak. Like the second of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies hit. And I don't hate 
the TCM remake, but I think it's like the visual equivalent of watching someone hit like a giant 400 pound sack of ground beef with a bat over and over again. Like that's how I feel when I watch that movie. <laughs> kind of want to do that though. I know. Kind of. Also, I'm hungry, so, so I want hamburgers. What, what I appreciated watching <laughs> Snakes on a Plane, it doesn't automatically assume the worst in everybody. For the most yeah, part, true. the passengers and crew actually all work together with the exception of like the British asshole who British people are coded as assholes in movies. Like there's a uh-huh. reason why British people are always the villains. Aside from my mm. wife, they're the worst. <laughs> and even her has some. Mo- no, I'm kidding. She's wonderful. Aww. I love her. <laughs> did, she, did she kill a dog recently or something? <laughs> hmm. No, <laughs> we're not. No. Let's not bring she Mike's wife not. into this. She's sweet, sweet she and wonderful is super person. sweet and lovely. <laughs> but they work together, which is something you wouldn't see. Even like three G's. Like he has that moment when he kind of goes ballistic. And you can see, you know, mm-hmm. he's like he's had it. He's like reaches breaking point. Mm-hmm. He somehow grabs the gun, but he's able to like calm himself down and not elevate. And then two scenes later after his meltdown, he's like, you know what? That was my bad. Totally sorry about mm-hmm. that. I was an asshole. I did like that. And everyone's I like, it's cool. It goes for yeah, like. I was like, this is how society can work, yeah. people. Can place on the plane is no. our model. Um, it's I mean, not. it's funny. It's like, it, I mean, if you, if you want to like go deep into it, it's like you could compare this and Jaws, which we are sort of accidentally doing mm-hmm. here, like as people's response to disaster and, and the, the different paths that people can take during a moment of disaster. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And this one has a more optimistic take on people coming together to, to solve a problem. You know, even more optimistic than Jaws, actually, which is like just three people coming together to solve a problem. And one of, you know, one of them tries to trap them in it anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Even like my last thing is even like the snake expert, like his expertise is valued. Like there's never a moment mm-hmm. like the FBI is like, well, you know, if we were to go and get the anti-venom, what about my freedom to not get the venom? You know, what about my freedom to not take the thing that will get the poison out of right. me? You know, that, like, that would be that would be if this movie was made today. <laughs> like, don't give me that poison, man. Yeah, and as right. they're dying, yeah, like expertise is actually valued. You know, he's obviously coded as a bit of a nerd, but they're never mm-hmm. like, oh, you big fucking nerd who can't get laid. You know, they're like, right. what do we need to do to solve? this crisis right now it's actually like so to me like two and a half three star movie overall like enjoyable Mm -hmm. enough for a one-time watch we'll probably never ever watch it again (laughs) but you know it wasn't like the worst thing i've ever seen (laughs) like if i had a choice of this or mandy i would probably put this on because i would at least have some fun with it well i feel like that's a win yeah you know (laughs) not what what else can you you ask for in life yeah right <laughs> and this is mike's mandy corner yeah, sorry. Right, welcome back. Every episode at <laughs> sorry some point i'm where sorry mike talks I'm about so how much sorry. he hates so mandy sorry. for anyone listening for the first time i feel like you just got this unending well of mandy and it just kind of slips out it <laughs> like, what does mandy mean to you does it remind you of something in your past mike right. i'm just kidding <laughs> <sighs> hate it uh <laughs> Laura, what about you? Uh, this movie, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. If fucking snakes on a plane. I kind of, it is what it is. I agree with largely with everything you said, Mike. I mean, it it is not a good movie. 
Uh, it's d- bad in ways that I was not anticipating it to be bad and good in ways that I was not anticipating it to be good, you know, because I kind of had mm-hmm. this preset idea of what this movie would feel and be paced like in my head. And that's not what it was. I, I was thinking it would be more along the lines of like the grindhouse, just like balls to the wall stupidity. Mm-hmm. And it was to some degree, but the pay, you know, again, it didn't need to be as long as it was. It was more like competently made than I was expecting, but also like it didn't know when to be intentionally incompetent and when to be intentionally competent. It didn't seem to have like a very clear vision for it. And again, that comes down to the production of the movie. It was made to be one way and then it got all this hype around it. And then they were like, oh, shit, let's add in a bunch of fan suggestions and reshoot scenes. It's kind of a hodgepodge, you know, and I do think it sort of gets more compelling in the like last third of it that whole final act when they're all really having to band together and land the plane so to speak i think it 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 has something to it and there's some really good performances in it i think i mean honestly i think samuel L. jackson is good i think juliana margulies is good i think uh keenan thompson is really shines and the guy that plays three g's is actually really Mm -hmm. good there are definitely moments but they're they're spread out so thin and there's long stretches where the action just kind of becomes mind-numbingly boring because it's just like snakes 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 okay oh more snakes and the cgi looks like shit you know and then there's like all the early 2000s stuff that just makes me want to gouge my own eyes out the homophobia the misogyny the like objectification the male i mean it's really pretty bad again i've seen i too have seen much worse but i'm somebody who intentionally seeks out like shit garbage films to watch so i mean I've seen it all. Mm-hmm. And and on that, if we're going on that scale, it's not that bad. But if you're going on the scale of just like humanity, <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. But, you know, so I don't know. I'm just going to yeah. come out of this by the the shruggy emoji. That's my that's what it, my my final <laughs> yeah. my final thoughts are. Yeah. In your notes, it says, yep, which I think <laughs> kind of sums yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah. My only note that I wrote yeah, down yeah. was, yep. <laughs> these, these are probably the shortest notes that we've ever had. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I mean, by it's far. pod time, you know? It's yeah, it's it is. We're we're this is yeah. we're, we're taking this is our self-care. Ex- yes. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I I saw this in theaters. I was in into the hype um and I was really excited about it. And I remember having a really, really great experience in the theater, like with that Tennessee line, because I was watching it in Nashville, like everybody in the theater cheered. And then, of course, when he says his snakes line, like people stood up and cheered at that moment. (laughs) Now, the theater wasn't full. So it was just like (laughs) a half theater, like standing up and yelling. And it was almost kind of this point of like, okay, we're excited about this. We're just going to play our roles of exciting all the way through and go for it because you don't want to like end up halfway through and like. Uh, like that's no fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think the back half is a lot better than the first half. I did pick up on like in 2006 in theaters, I picked up on the the misogyny and the homophobia. And that's why I think when I suggested this, I was like, like there's a little red flag in the back of my head going up. Cause I remembered one of the few things I remembered was the experience of watching it and the scene with the, the bathroom scene mm-hmm. where she gets bit on the boob. And I was like, mm. I don't remember. And I remember that Juliana Margulies was in this. 
Um, and I just wonder how she feels about being in this movie now, you know? Like, there's part of me that, like, it's like, oh, yeah, I was in Snakes on a Plane. Like, that just feels like a funny reference on your resume, you know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, I, I've had a lot of fun watching this, mostly because I was doing stuff at the beginning where all of the, like, really egregious misogyny, homophobia, fat phobia, like that's, that's really bad. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. and I, I feel like there's this very weird tonal shift or not shift, but there, this movie has like huge tonal issues because in a lot of ways, like it's, I don't want to say it's progressive, but it's got this, like, it lets a lot of its characters be human in a way that I think other movies of this kind don't like, I'm thinking specifically of Troy and 3G, like that moment I, I really loved that apology moment. I thought it yeah. was really sweet. Um, mm-hmm. And I also love that Troy, like, he gets to be the hero and he gets to land the plane. Mm-hmm. And another movie I feel like would have had him crashing all over the place and like, see, that's why we don't let video. But, like, they let him have that moment and it's a really sweet moment. I feel like it's just, like, the beginning is just chock full of this, like, mean-spirited, yeah. punching-down mm-hmm. humor, which is just I mean, the, the two heroes yes. of this movie are black men. Exactly. Yeah. And I was watching them land the plane in the cockpit and I was like, that's there's something to say about that in 2006, you know? Yeah. Like all of the heroes of this movie are minoritized characters, you know? And it it didn't feel like a big statement. It was just like, nope, this is who it should be. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which in and of itself, like, is what we kind of hope at some point we can get to kind of normalize. Yeah. Right. It, It feels like when the movie lets itself get away from, like, the stock characters and cliched jokes and stuff that they almost felt like they were doing mindlessly. Like, they accidentally do some interesting things with the characters and unexpected, you know, humanizing of stock characters. Even Mercedes, like, being, like, the rich bitch at the beginning, like, ends up, you know, you really see her as a human by the end of it as just a woman who just watched her dog get eaten by a snake and is, like, you know, she's holding on to a kid at one point. She's just dealing, you know, it's little things like that. But that's, but I totally agree. The tone is all over the place. And I don't feel like it had a intentional vision going into it. But yeah, it, it almost gets there at a few points. Well, and I think I read um, an article that they were originally planning it to be PG-13. And so then I think I think it was Wedding Crashers came out and they were like, oh, we can make this R. So let's punch Mm -hmm. up all of the the gratuitousness. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 This is the error of like Anchorman. Mm -hmm. Like you said, Wedding Crashers, 40 year old virgin, like where R rated comedies had made a bit of a comeback, which kind of started with like the Farrelly brothers and like, there's something about Mary. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could draw and I, to be honest, like I think it works in the film's favor Mm -hmm. because you don't have to, when you want to go for a little bit of meanness, like you don't have to pull back at that point. Yeah. Well, and I think what I think is really fascinating about this movie is that it is, and we've said it, it's like a time capsule. It's like this is like we're on the cusp of changing so much of what we understand about, like even just a selfie, like that word, what didn't exist when this movie was made, you know, and that's kind of a, a not, I don't want to say it's a key plot in the movie because I would have been fine if that wasn't a part of the movie, but like it, it's just interesting to look at where we understood what like 
wokeness was or what like understanding people was because there's so much mean-spirited misogyny the male gaze is all over this thing but then there's also this like honest attempt to understand other characters and it's just Mm -hmm. like we and that's why I like talking about things like that that we find problematic but Mm -hmm. kind of it that live in a gray area because I feel like that's where we can really say okay well what is it about this that rubs us the wrong way and what is it about this that makes us feel good you know so I like movies like this that kind of live in that in-between world because I think it's like a, just a good like conversation starter or object lesson for kind of how we have progressed over the years. And I think it's totally. also like this movie exists like it's unless there are big things I'm forgetting about. This was one of the first like I think of them as Sharknado type movies, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like a lot of its problem is that I think it was afraid to kind of be that, you know, like as much as it was trying to add in like fan like that that's Samuel L. Jackson line was like a fan created line and they threw it in and it's really funny. It's like one of my favorite parts of the movie, but I feel like I, I watched this and I think like, were they afraid they were going to get torn to shreds if the plot didn't make sense, you know, or were they afraid that they were going to get a lot of negative feedback if they didn't try to make this like a real movie in quotation yeah. marks, you know? And I feel like now if they made this movie at this point, one, I think it would be a lot more culturally sensitive, but I think, I think they would just kind of let themselves be more what they are, you know, or let this movie be what it is. Just a movie about snakes on a plane, you know, it's, it's very hard to make a intentionally quote unquote bad movie. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. like the persons that are doing it really well, like there are the folks with Astron six, there's like the rate, I think it's called the radio collective. They made Mm -hmm. uh, turbo kid. They've gone on, like they're making screen five. And I think there's a lot of excitement around that. Um, James Gunn, I, you know, I think you see it a lot, like the the creators that came out of Troma, mm-hmm. though I'm not like the biggest Troma fan, like there's an aesthetic that they can embrace and they can, uh, or like Roger Corman, um, to, you know, got creators like James Cameron and Joe Dante to like make movies on the cheap that were like kind of knockoff movies, but they still had a certain flair. And I think what they did is they kind of like embrace the cheap aesthetic of the movie and they embrace the challenges that that can make for in order to create something that can be much much smarter at that point like the original idea for jaws 3 was a full-on satire that was going to be a co-production between universal and national lampoons directed by joe dante called jaws 3 people zero oh i want to see that (laughs) oh my goodness it was going to start with the author peter benchley getting eaten in his own swimming pool by a shark really Um, (laughs) yeah oh damn it i really want to see that (laughs) you know it's a dumb idea that could have been presented like extremely smartly Mm -hmm. so it's hard to make those kind of movies i think the folks that can do it do a really good job Mm -hmm. of it this movie I thought like Grindhouse, which came out a couple of years later, like embraces. And I don't think it's completely successful. I think like Death Proof is worlds ahead of Planet of Terror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, agree. <laughs> but I think that's because you have someone that like eats, drinks and breeds. Like even if he doesn't always like get the cultures behind them right, he like knows enough about the aesthetic of the, of those movies to kind of mimic it and kind of still put his own spin on it Mm -hmm. yes yeah if nothing else if he does if tarantino does one thing really well it's it's this working in this kind of world like elevating camp Mm -hmm. to 
uh, a full film mm-hmm. experience. And I feel like yeah. this one gets halfway there. You know, I feel like yeah. there are, I can see, mm-hmm. I, it's like I can see this genre of film growing with this movie. You know, it's like totally no, trying some stuff. It's like a teenager or something. Yeah. It's you know? an, it's, 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 this is in the awkward teen phase of yeah. campy action parody movies. Yeah. So like it, it's and the CGI doesn't do it any favors because <laughs> no, it, it looked, does not. It looked it looked dated like in two thousand six. Like this would have looked like dated CGI, yeah. and I think that that is something that is always for me personally. It pulls me out where I can watch a movie even if the practical effects aren't amazing. Mm-hmm. It just does something to my brain where um, I'm able to like say this person is at the very least interacting with something and there were like quick hits here or there like the moment where the dude like grabs the snake that is like trying to wrap itself around a woman and like hucks it out the plane Mm -hmm. window like that's a cool little moment like it's because it's so quick that you don't almost don't have time to look at how bad the cgi is but and apparently they had like a bunch of actual snakes that they used in the filming but it's like yeah. I, I think the quote i saw was something like three-fifths of it are is cgi but there are moments yeah. where they used real snakes and they used snakes mm-hmm. that were non-venomous that look like venomous counterparts yeah. to film some of these scenes but obviously for the vast majority of the action they just couldn't do that because you know like but but i agree i'm you know we've i've had this rant before about cgi just not working and i um i i found a quote about that too um from mental floss only one third of the snakes were real no more than 60 real snakes were on set at any time um and then this part made me laugh the snakes were regularly swapped out during filming because according to sylvester uh, they get tired after 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> so we had to oh. have snake changes continuously, which I thought was like, Aww. I feel you snakes. Yeah. Same, and I, big same. Right. And I feel it. We, cause we, we have talked about special effects before and CGI has to be really, really bad to bother me. Like it's just not something that I really care about. And this is pretty bad, but I did really like how like they used the CGI to almost make the snakes more evil, you know, like (laughs) have like a little snake smirk on its face, which I kind of enjoyed, although it was. Yeah, this is one of those moments where the CGI, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I see. I see what you guys are talking about when you say the CGI (laughs) is bad. (laughs) Well, shall we dig into our mental? Shall we slither in? That sounds weird. (laughs) Shall we talk about our mental health issue? (laughs) Like slither on into our mental health Should issues. Shall we slither on in? Maybe I'll say it slithery. Shall we shed our skin? And There sorry, we go. Um, shed the skin of our feelings. Check and embrace our new snakedom of mental health issue for the week. <laughs> there we go. I mean, it could have been in the script of this movie. To it be could fair. have been. Could have been. Um, and so, Mike, I think we mentioned in our Dolls episode that we're going to talk a little bit about exposure therapy today, right? Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yeah, that's we're going to like we talked a lot last week or last two weeks ago about what phobias are and how they differentiate from like, you know, fear. Um, And here's like the 10 cent recap, like a phobia is irrational and an over the top fear of like an object or situation that can be completely debilitating and it causes like a near instantaneous reaction in the person who suffers from it upon exposure or sometimes even the hint of the exposure to the stimulus. What sets it apart from like a normal stressor or stressful event is the individual's reaction is like disproportionate to the danger that the object or the situation presents. So phobias can be like a vicious circle. 
the reactions they elicit can be so harsh that the person does just about anything they can do to avoid the stimuli for them whatsoever. That has the unfortunate side effect of a person not building any stress tolerance or tapping into any reserves of resiliency they might have in order to get them through these times. So this allows the phobia to maintain this oversized and overstated like presence in a person's mind. Okay. Looms larger than life. Which is kind of what we've talked about a little bit when we've talked about trigger warnings. Yeah. There's two schools of thought on it. And I remember like it was the last internship seminar that I took and I had it with my advisor. It was one of the last classes and we she led a discussion on like trigger warnings, saying like, does it do more harm than good? Mm-hmm. And I can see both ways of it. I think the benefit of a trigger warning is it gives a person the benefit to make or gives them the option to make the choice for themselves. Mm -hmm. And a trigger warning in and of itself doesn't mean that a person has to avoid that stimuli. It just presents it. And it might be like six days out of seven, they may be okay with like, yeah, I can handle it. Mm -hmm. But there might be something that one day where they're like, no, I can't handle it. Mm -hmm. The other side of it is there is like anything, like nothing is an absolute. So there are certain persons that I feel, and I could be wrong and I could be overstating it, that feel it's the responsibility of everyone else to make sure no one is ever exposed to anything that might upset them. Yeah. And it's a small subset, but yeah. just like- A small vocal mm-hmm. subset, as usual with these kind the of topics. The smallest subset on either side, mm-hmm. whether right or left, they tend to be the loudest. Yeah. And it feels like, how dare you? you expo- how they feel like it's an obligation that no one should ever be exposed to anything difficult in mm-hmm. life and i'm of the mind that like difficult things do not necessarily what doesn't kill me makes me stronger like because what doesn't kill you can also really hurt you mm-hmm. yeah that's an oversimplification yeah. but but you know there is a reason why it's important to build like resiliency mm-hmm. um, yes. and how that can help overcome and also like when you face difficult things and you grow I think that you're better prepared to maybe help others Mm -hmm. later on down the road as well. I had this actually really, it was an enlightening conversation with a client this past week because they lost their son right around this time. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, I can't think of anything worse, Mm -hmm. like far worse than losing your keys would be losing your child. Yes, Mike. Yes, Mike. (laughs) I agree. I thought you were going to say spouse, but you know. Yes. But no, like I can't think of anything like worse as a parent than to lose your child. And they have talked about, you know, as they've grieved and as they've like worked their way through the grieving process, how they've spoken with other parents that have lost children and have been able to like support them just by being there and offering, you know, and being very empathetic towards them. And it was like the hardest thing that they've ever gone through, but they feel coming out the other side of it they almost have an obligation mm-hmm. to help others as well and it's really it was really beautiful mm-hmm. it's really like one of those things that i'm like i am learning from this person as they're talking about it yeah um, which was great and i think it's interesting what you were saying because that this is maybe the first time i'm really thinking about trigger warnings like trigger warnings just exist like they are just statements yeah. and it's our responses to trigger warnings like we have the power mm-hmm. to respond to them in any ways that we mm-hmm. can you know which i guess and 
it it might be in some ways like they get a little bit overused. Like yeah. trigger warning if you're a vegan, there's milk in this scene. Yeah. Like, Does the dog die, I think, is a really valuable website in a lot of ways, but I think their mm-hmm. dedication to listing any possible thing that could be like I've read some of those lists and I there are things mentioned that I wasn't even aware existed in the movie until I saw yeah. them on the list, you know. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, and it is just my opinion, there's a there's a place for websites like that. It's mm-hmm. more like when it starts to become almost a little like Tipper Gore parental advisory <laughs> labels, yeah. you know, or the MPA rating system, which has its own history of actually like being very conservative and and repressive. Mm-hmm. I think it's a I think it's just an important conversation to be having in good faith. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of really bad faith arguments going on online about it. And I've seen some, you know, really thoughtful threads about it where then people get attacked by a bunch of people with like one very specific opinion. But, you know, I I think that the people who are having good faith conversations about it have made a lot of really good points, uh, among which, you know, are the perspectives of a lot of people who have PTSD, Mm -hmm. trauma. You know, as for myself, I do have my own trauma issues. And I get really mixed feelings about trigger warnings. Mm-hmm. So, some days I'm like, I'm glad that I, you know, I lo- looked it up on Did the Dog Die? Because I didn't want to see this one particular thing happen. And I chose not to watch the movie that day. There are other days when you're like, I'm trying to listen to a podcast. I listen to a lot of like storytelling podcasts and stuff. And it's like they'll have a bazillion trigger warnings at the top. And I start getting just worked up and annoyed at all mm-hmm. the trigger warnings because I'm like, I can't listen to anything. They all have discussions of rape in them, you know, right. or whatever. And, and it's like, you know, some days those warnings help me and some days they harm me. And um, I think it's just a really complicated topic that we should just keep talking about and mm-hmm. should be very, very careful how we proceed. There's a lot of the conversation has been around almost establishing like a rating system for for literature, for books, mm-hmm. and like putting warnings on on book covers and stuff like this. And just like, gee, where how could this go wrong? How could this end up um, unintentionally harming a lot of already marginalized and struggling authors? Ooh, I mm-hmm. wonder, you know, yeah. and so that, you know, there's a lot of really good dialogue around that happening. Gretchen Felker Martin on Twitter and Carmen Maria Machado, who's another uh, author, have been doing some really good threads on the topic yeah and to your point too Laura, when you mentioned like tipper gore and the pmrc and the ratings board it's one thing to say this is something you may want to be aware of versus this is something that you shouldn't have access to yes or this is something that is bad yes it's Mm -hmm. putting a moral judgment on something yeah i also struggle personally because i'm like you know not all we don't need to be exposed to everything like if somebody is going to like speak in a college campus and just espouse like anti-Semitic or racist or Nazi sympathetic viewpoints. I'm like, I don't think that person deserves an audience. Mm-hmm. I don't think that preserves a person deserves a platform. And that is a case of like at times like the free market working like it's supposed to. It's like, well, no, we don't owe you a space that you are, you know, we don't owe everybody equal opportunity. Therefore your views are so abhorrent that we're going to, Deplatform you at that point. Like, I'm actually okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they, what these morons always get, they're like, free speech. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can go talk anywhere, mm-hmm. but not just, yeah. I don't have to let you do it in my house. Right. Like, please right. leave, you know? And it's the same thing with right. all these platforms. They have their own terms of service. But I think at the end of the day, they they know how they make money. So that's why they continue to get right. replatformed, which is like we're already seeing with YouTube. Yeah. But yep. yeah. And free speech doesn't mean like free from criticism. I think mm-hmm. that right. is the. The uh, thing, an issue that people often forget, like, yes, you have the right to 
sit here and spout like stuff that would make Archie Bunker blush and tell you to like tone it down a bit. I have the right at that point to critique that point of view and tell you what a muttonhead you are. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like that it's part and parcel with one another, just like our listeners have the right to go to iTunes and leave us a five star <laughs> review. Yeah. And and I love you that you managed they, to get that in there. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I am a huckster like, <laughs> through, through and through. So, in terms of like, we got a little oh, off yeah, topic. Sorry. And I apologize. <laughs> I'm like, you know, like there's no way this episode will go more than like 90 minutes today. And boy, was uh, I. Yeah, here we whoops, are. Whoops. Whoopsie. Two hour episode on snakes on a plane. Like, <laughs> plane sort of. Hey, that's the content you that, give us that five star reviews itself. for, right? Yeah, like, exactly. The, the, the trigger warning for this episode is like we're talking about snakes on a plane <laughs> right. for two hours. Like that's your. All right. One of the ways people overcome phobias and what we're going to talk about briefly today is exposure therapy. Because this one's actually pretty simple. Uh, Snake exposure therapy. Plane. There you go. There you Sorry. go. Exposure therapy <laughs> helps patients overcome their anxiety by providing like a controlled environment where the fear is gradually confront confronted. It's done in steps, although in some cases, all of the steps can be completed in one super long session like that might go like three four five hours because it's gradual exposure there's a potential way it could play out so let's use snakes as an example right here person comes in and they're afraid of snakes sessions might look like this at the start you might just start with a description of a snake what it looks like what it sounds like what its characteristics are what its habitats are like what its feeding habits are progressing through that you might have some news articles about snakes maybe even articles about snakes attacking people and as you're doing this as a counselor i would be like checking in all right on a scale of like one to five where is our anxiety at right now you're at a four let's do a mindfulness exercise let's do some breathing let's do some progressive muscle relaxation let's get you down to like a two at that point two we can live with this is called systemic desensitization which involves exposing phobic eventuals and i got the hard <laughs> word right which involves i blame the snakes which which involves exposing phobic individuals to fear evoking images and thoughts after a while you can move on to like maybe looking at pictures of different snakes and then before you make the final step, maybe you come into session and there are toy snakes that are out that the individual can like look at, they can touch it, they can pick it up. The last step would like be being in a room with a snake, touching a real snake. And this is called, you know, like having it around you, maybe even letting it like wrap itself around you a little bit if it's not, you know, obviously one that's going to not the big boy. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not the big boy and we're not talking about the man's, <laughs> that was such a bad joke. I know. All right. So that's in vivo therapy. Sorry. He really did. <laughs> he really did. That's in vivo therapy where you're in the room and you're directly exposed to the thing that you're most afraid of. The problem with exposure therapy is like not everybody wants to do it. Their like attitude is like, fuck no, because the phobia takes such a hold. So according to a study written up in clinical psychiatry, psychiatry. <laughs> I am in my own head now. <laughs> according to a study written up in clinical psychi psychiatry news, only about one in five people with a severe phobia 
will seek like this kind of clinical help to overcome it. Out of those that do seek help, about a quarter of them leave the treatment before it's completed. Mm. One area where there's been a lot of strides has been in virtual reality exposure therapy. Mm. It's now cost effective enough that the treatment can be like done on your phone with like the little headboard, uh, cardboard things that go around it. It can be tr- great for treating phobias that aren't necessarily cost effective or practical for a therapist to being there. So like as a therapist, I'm probably not going to hop on a plane with you <laughs> to get you over your fear of flying. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a fear of falling, you know, I'm probably not going to push you off a building. But there's that one client that I will. <laughs> but overall, you know, those are like some examples. So this will end with this. This is an article from November 2016's uh, Psychotherapy Network Worker Magazine, Is VR a Game Changer? And just a little couple snippets from it. It talks about like some of the benefits of it. So virtually, it's a company called Virtually Better that has been doing VR therapy since the mid-1990s. Virtually Better has developed programs that address fears of storms, spiders, heights, and public speaking. They've also developed a module that can assist people dealing with substance abuse to confront common triggers. Imagine being at a virtual bar with booze in the background and a pack of cigarettes on the counter. The company also provides support to military and VA hospitals using highly effective VR product specifically developed to treat service personnel suffering from PTSD. So it was a way to like have soldiers get back in that immersive environment to confront their fears over that. It's really cool. It's like pretty groundbreaking hmm. stuff. That is cool. Yeah. Talks about like a trial that was run with it. Further developing the use of this technology as a tool to confront people's fears, a research team led by Daniel Freeman at Oxford University recently conducted an experiment to test whether people suffering from paranoia might be helped through VR experiences. The study included 30 patients who were experiencing persecutory delusions, such as people see me as an easy target and do things to belittle me, and someone intends to kill me. We do bread <laughs> through, vir- through VR. Did you add that or was that in the article? <laughs> no, I added that. Sorry. I would love it. Was, I mean, um, I loved that you I? added it, but how funny if you just or did I? put that in brackets. Um, <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm telling you, why do people keep saying this? <laughs> right. like, uh... I don't know. <laughs> through VR, they were placed in an underground train and on an elevator for a total of seven stimula- uh, simulated journeys with a number of virtual passengers increasing in each successive run. The participants spent only 30 minutes in VR, but their responses in the pre- and post-testing, which included being placed in real-life situations, showed a significant improvement. This was particularly at the University of Washington, which places patients in an immersive, snowy environment. It has been shown to help burn victims and others receiving wound care better manage their pain. Indeed, Howard Rose, co-founder of DeepStream VR, a health-focused VR company, believes the technology has great potential for many people who experience chronic pain. So pretty interesting article I started to go through. You know, whenever I think of uh, virtual reality, I think of the lawnmower man adaptation. (laughs) So I'm glad to hear that we have progressed for beyond Job's war. (laughs) 
that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So yay, thank you for sharing that article. And I'll make sure to link that in our uh, show notes. So, um, well, so let's, let's move into, uh, let's board the plane, shall we? Um, and what's funny is like, I th- just was thinking about this as a fear of snakes. I d- completely didn't think about the fact that there's, you could also have a fear of flying or a fear of like being mm-hmm. trapped in an enclosed space with snakes. So it's, mm-hmm. it's just this really interesting, like mishmash, mishmash of these phobias. Yeah. Um, and I think we see Samuel L's partner, who I just thought of as bad cop throughout the movie because like he gets like three scenes, you know, mm-hmm. like he has kind of a panic attack phobic reaction to these snakes. And that's when he's yelling like I have I, I wrote snake phobia because I couldn't. I didn't have the subtitles. A phobia. A phobia. Yeah. If I say it enough times, it'll stick. A Nice. A Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> I am not looking forward to trying to pronounce that word in a minute a here. video phobia it may take the show over the two and a half hour <laughs> so i had three i had three phobias in this movie I had the ophidia phobia the fear of snakes mm-hmm. you did it you did it good job first it's try. the most it's the uh most common phobias with about one third of adults reporting some degree of it. Really? It was yeah, that was listed in the Journal of Ethnobiology and Ethnomedicine, which as you can guess, is a real page turner <laughs> magazine. I had uh aviophobia, the fear of flying, and then germophobia, which is a fear of Darby Crash, mm. former lead singer of the germs. No, I'm just shaking my germs. head at you right now. I'm just shaking my damn head. And I was like, oh, I, I love that joke. Who is that person? <laughs> it's the germs. They were an 80s punk band. Nice. That did that, that Purell moment did hit differently now. Yeah. It did. Yeah. I oh, was yeah. like, he was right. I know. Jesus was right. I'm like, yeah. yeah. There's the fear of motherfuckers, which is not technically That's, a thing, yeah. but Ma- uh, materfuckerophobia anyway <laughs> that's yeah. Latin so, version of that nice yeah but yeah. three different phobias are like touched upon in the movie I, I and I may be more but like that's what I came up with yeah I feel like those are the, the big ones yeah those are the big ones yeah yeah and we have um honeymoon couple too which which really touched mm-hmm. me partly because Corey and I got married in Hawaii Corey Aww. I know yeah but he has a fear of flying and oh. he was like, you're the only one I would get on a plane for. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. So it really made me sad when they died. But it also, I was thinking, you know, I didn't really take that seriously. I was like, no, no, no. Because I love flying. I think it's really fun. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like it's like a roller coaster because that would be terrifying. But it's like, it's it's fun. Like that moment of like no gravity. I just think it's really cool. So I was like, no, you don't. You don't have a fear of flying. You're fine. We're going to travel all mm-hmm. over, you know. And so that kind of made me feel kind of bad when he died not Corey, but the person in the movie yeah when i killed him we used to have this running joke about me watching true crime was i was just like taking notes to kill him you know but i, I oh my it. god my wife does that oh yeah my wife mm. i walked in and her like literally watching true crime shows and taking notes <laughs> i mean i didn't know she's a psychologist part. correct <laughs> yes she is a psychologist i've got no excuse you know yeah and she was like why don't we have paramount i want to watch like when women kill and i'm like what have i done right. <laughs> so, oh, so, you'll find yeah. out when your one hour documentary comes out on when women kill I know. <laughs> I just I remember like uh, there was some Twitter joke that was like, I'm really enjoying season six of Killer Women and season 300,612 of one of Killer Men, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. 
Yeah, like anyway. Swamp Justice, I also like. <laughs> <laughs> We're just because of the name. Um, anyways, yeah. Um, so that was one. That was when I was like, oh, yeah, there's a fear of flying, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I wanted to kind of mention just a minute, um, like what he, what his reaction, what bad cop's reaction is, is because he is kind of frozen on the floor and these snakes are crawling all over him. And I think my lot, the logical part of my brain would say, if you're afraid of snakes and they're on you, you would try to get them off of you. But he freezes, which I wanted to yeah. kind of ask F- about that. Fight, fight, flight, freeze. Flight or freeze. or freeze. Yeah, I would think yep. that would be an example of that. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Have you heard that there's a new, that fawn has been added to that? Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn? Which so is, what is fawn? I've heard, I've heard this, but I don't know what it means. Okay, so I... I I relate to this because I do it a lot. I don't think I necessarily do it in this type of reaction, but fawn would be like if some if you are feeling threatened by someone, you like overly praise them to kind of yeah. butter them up so that they're not like kind of verbally attacking you. I think it's something that a lot of women are kind of just trained to do. Like this is how you grease the wheels of you navigating mm-hmm. the world. I mean, obviously you wouldn't like the snake doesn't care if you think it's a cool snake, you know, so that's not going to get you out of it. And it also doesn't strike me as much of a respond in the moment, the way fight, flight, freeze is, you know? It, it's interesting because I think it is a very, like, human version. Like, there wouldn't, you wouldn't see that. I mean, I guess you, the way you might see that in the natural world is, like, submission or submissiveness, mm-hmm. like a dog rolling on its belly yeah. and uh, being like, yeah. oh, you know, like you see, you know, so I don't know if it's like an active submission kind of thing. And that's just how they're articulating it. I haven't read enough about it to to know, but that's what it strikes me as, is, is the equivalent of that in humans, which is like, yeah, but you're so big and strong, right. you know, um, but. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I heard about this from a true crime podcast. So, you know, mm-hmm. take it with a grain no, of salt. I've heard I've heard reference to it somewhere, but I hadn't looked into it. And I was just reminded. Yeah. And here yeah, we are. I've, I've not heard of it until right now, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it definitely I can see that being a reaction to feeling like you're being attacked. Mm hmm. Um, to immediately kind of go into overly praise mode to like assuage, especially like said, like if it's a domineering male, mm-hmm. um, right? What do you do? You're trying to assuage his ego, ego at that point, mm-hmm. you know. So and sometimes it can be effective. I've definitely like when I've felt like street threatened by some guy talking to like cornering me on the train or whatever. I've definitely like tried to be I've I've ranged from being like aggressive to being overly nice depending on how I was reading the situation you know mm-hmm. and sometimes that being like really sweet and nice does kind of just get them to like leave you alone but I don't think that would work in every instance and, and at the time I don't think I was like calculatedly thinking about it so I'm just just thinking back through through moments in my own life because as a woman that uh has you know used public transportation for most of her life I've um <laughs> had a lot of moments so (laughs) yeah well and I think like my understanding of it especially given what we talked about in our Jaws episode is it my understanding I think kind of blurs the line between phobia and fear a little Mm -hmm. bit because I think there are certain types of phobias like if you are afraid of the water you cannot swim in the ocean but if you are if you have an underlying or if you have a fear of like domineering men you know, that's not necessarily something you can live every day and avoid, you know? Yeah. So it's just you like... You isolate f- yourself from that. Exactly, yeah. So like the fawn part of it I see is kind of 
and again, I'm, I'm blurring the line between phobia and fear, I think, but, um, like, it seems like this kind of coping skill that you use when you are just kind of low level triggered on a, like mm-hmm. continuously, you know, like this is yeah. just the way I continuously deal with this thing rather than a phobic reaction of freezing from right. like a more mm-hmm. extreme event. Yeah. And the thing with like the, the phobia versus fear is like the outsized reaction and the fact that like the whatever you're phobic of, like can't necessarily like either it can't hurt you as much as you believe it can or that the chance of being exposed to it is so slim. Um, like if you're someone who lives in, you know, Idaho and you're completely terrified of sharks, it's like, well, good news. There aren't any sharks in Idaho. But like you said, the chances are in your day to day world, you're going to come across like an overly aggressive person, usually male, mm-hmm. sometimes not, but usually male. Mm-hmm. So I can understand having that kind of almost like IV drip of anxiety mm-hmm. that is constantly kind of coursing through your veins at that point. Like that makes sense to me. It's less, not necessarily a phobia, but it is that fear. Yeah. I will say, I mean, you know, the germophobia is brought up in this movie and and similarly to a lot of things you I mean, I'm somebody who has in the past been on the border of germophobic and it definitely mm-hmm. was horrifically triggered by the pandemic. Um, and I'm, I'm still trying to like get out of that mindset that it threw me back into, but that is a, an IV, a, a steady IV drip of anxiety is a good way to describe it because that mm-hmm. is also something you can't completely avoid. You know, it's yeah. just, if you exist in this world, you're going to be exposed to illness, germs, who knows, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a good correlate mm-hmm. and it's not the kind of thing Unless it rises to an extreme moment that you that I I personally found a fight flies or oh my god fight flight or freeze reaction to, mm-hmm. but it, it just becomes more of like a steady ongoing anxiety that mm-hmm. at times has gotten out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I think that the borders between these things are really slippery and not oh, yeah. totally easy to to yeah. define. Yeah. It's it's not the bento box of mental illness. For there are no easy uh, compartments in this. Yeah, I you know I put in like the brief notes I had on the movie. Like, does it actually accurately represent phobias? And my answer is like a mealy mouthed kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two of the things that like are touched upon, like the fear of flying and the fear of germs, like those are character ticks, but they're not really the main component that's driving the movie. Mm-hmm. And also the snakes in this movie represent a real <laughs> fucking danger, you know? Right. Like, it's a reasonable fear reaction to snakes know? everywhere attacking you. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of, and I would say like we talked about what this movie does well. And the director of this movie is David Ellis, who would go on to direct the Final Destination, like the fourth <gasps> Final Destination oh. movie, mm. which is my least favorite yeah. of the series. But much like Scream, I don't think there is a bad final. Like all of them to me are watchable. Yeah. He's best known as a stuntman who once when someone tried to carjack him was like, all right, motherfucker, you're going for a <laughs> ride and was able to get rid of that person. Oh, wow. And also he was like a second unit director on a lot of it action movies like the highway sequence and i think he worked on harry potter and the sorcerer's stone master and commander but like the freeway sequence in 2003's the matrix reloaded <gasps> the best chase uh, like scene was, in any he, movie yeah 
he was the second unit director. He did like a lot of the work and coordination on that. So he had a really pro- prolific career as mm-hmm. like a, not necessarily as like a director, but as a second unit director and stunt person. Mm-hmm. Also, they deb- made his directorial debut with like Homeward Bound 2. Um, so <laughs> this time they go to hell. Different. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> that would be amazing time. if it was like the, the dog, like the dog and cat's bogus journey versus like the excellent. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> So the like the two there are two mo like one is like minute forty to forty five, and then there's like one towards the end of the movie where things erupt into pure chaos mm-hmm. for about like a good like five to seven minutes. Like snakes are coming everywhere, everyone's freaking out. Mm-hmm. Like those are legit awesome B movie action sequences. Like when the snakes like come the, through the with the holes with the air yes, masks. It's so freaky. Yes. Yeah. It's cool. And it's like, Mm -hmm. and everyone's freaking out and it's pure chaos. And it's like the camera is moving in a million different directions. And it's like really quick. Mm -hmm. It's really quick, but it's not like that kind of sloppy editing where you only see something for like three frames. Mm -hmm. And it's like herky jerky. It's like you get enough information fed to you to understand like this is a panic, but I can still follow it as a viewer. Like those are two legit awesome sequences. Mm -hmm. and. I just wish the movie kind of embraced that more. And again, that gets down to like, you don't need to be a 90 minute movie, like get, uh, for an hour and 45 minute long movie, like cut it to 85 minutes, get mm-hmm. in, get out, do your thing and know what you are. Mm-hmm. Yep. It would have been a much more respected movie for embracing what, you know, what it was going for. Well, and what I think I is interesting about this movie, because I do agree. And I think the snake stuff is pretty well sparsed throughout the movie. Like those are not those. I do Mm -hmm. think that. And I think when the raft dam breaks um, is the other moment that I really like when all the snakes Mm -hmm. are getting aliened out. Like those are not the only two snake danger scenes we have in the movie. Um, There's a lot of like snakes fucking up shit like throughout. And Mm -hmm. so that's not the thing that I find not paced. Well, it's the fact that we have all this other shit that doesn't, that I don't care about, you know, like as much as I do like the snake science person. And I also really enjoy that act in The Rock, which is a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't need that. Like, that's what you cut out. And then you've got just like a like a nonstop snake thrill ride, which, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. or if you're going to do the stuff on the ground, like amp it up to match. Like, I think that it, they could have, it could have been just a lot tighter in general, cutting yeah. back and forth. And, you know, give yeah. us some characters. All the people on the ground are kind of boring. Oh, you know? yeah. I, I, it's just like, just embrace if you're going to do like archetype characters, make the weird snake guy a weird, crazy snake guy. He has yeah. like no characterization at all. And it's just like, there's a lot of people in this movie I would describe as duds. Even Sean, the key witness, it's like he just does oh, yeah. nothing and has no personality. And like, and I believe him as a, sur- a bland surfer guy. But yeah. like, come on, get, let's have some fun with it. You yeah. know, I forgot he existed. I mean, he, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, like we're I was, when I was watching this with my daughter, she's like, "How come the lead guy doesn't do anything?" You know, and, and I think <laughs> the like and critic you, know, you got you, on your hands there. Yeah, but she was like really like you know. Um, and I now let her watch Cinema Sins ever since having our guest on. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Jeremy's, Jeremy's super nice. But it's just, I'm like, I don't think he actually is the lead. I think you're supposed to think that because you're introduced to him, you know. Exactly. And, and again, he he makes like Jerry O'Connell and Scream 2 look dynamic by, <laughs> totally. um, you know what I mean? Oh, like he's I'd good. much rather see that character. Oh. I mean, yes, for many reasons, but yeah. Um, so... 
it's just like he's just this like fucking hunk of Melba toast. Do you know what I mean? Like just good looking, uh-huh. good looking. He can do the line, gets the job done. Spiky he's like good hair. looking adjacent though, because I feel yeah, like he's, he's like so Riley bland. from Buffy. <laughs> yeah. he, he is exactly like Riley to me. Like they look, you know, I just get the sense of like potato. Yeah. Riley was I'm the just best. eating a plain <laughs> poor boiled potato. Go, go ahead. <sighs> Riley was the best match for Buffy. I'm just gonna step Sorry. back. From you know what? The we're Buffy. not gonna. We're, <laughs> yeah, Riley can go fuck like, herself. Either have we got like Buffy a, and Mandy on the show. You either have like a, a 400 year old vampire that's grooming a 16 year old girl, or I never said I liked Angel. Or you have like a serial sexual harasser, Mama's boy. So those are your options. Like at that point, just date Jonathan. There, I said Which it. Which one's Jonathan? He's the, yeah, I would have been fine with that. The, Jonathan would have. He's the wee one. That's kind of a. Sports I like life. Jonathan. Yeah. Oh. You should date Oz. Everyone should date Oz. uh, There's pretty much no not problematic characters in that show when you get down to it. But but Riley still sucks. Anyway. (laughs) You know, should have dated Giles. That would have also been problematic. problematic, (laughs) Embrace embrace the problematicness. It would have been younger than Angel, so, Uh, you know. That's true. Anywho. All right. Sorry. No, 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 you're fine. Um, what's funny when you were talking about like what we could do on the ground, I was like, well, they could put snakes on the ground. It's like, but snakes are on the ground. Yeah. Oh my God, they're <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. yeah. That was interesting to me that um, snake, you said this is the most common phobia, autophobia. Autophobia. Aphidiophobia. Aphidiophobia. Snake aphidiophobia. Yeah. I, I did not. Like, I'm not pressing I mean, I can luck. see it. <laughs> yeah, I could see that, but I yeah. figured it would be some kind of more trendy fear, you know. You would have figured arachnophobia, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I just think there's something. I think that one is up there as well. I just think that, and I think it's all in degrees. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a reason, like in that line from Raiders of the Lost Ark, hits like snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? It hits because I think mm-hmm. we, in that moment, like everyone can identify to some degree with Indiana Jones and mm-hmm. Harrison yeah. Ford. Yeah, it's like a primordial fear thing. Like yeah. there's something in like the the human brain that mm-hmm. like r- remembers the predators that hunted us or were problematic for us on yeah. the open plains, and it's like mm-hmm. big cats, snakes. I will say spiders. One mark in this film's favor, considering it came out in 2006, and considering the two endless wars we were embroiled in it at the time, is that the villain of the movie is like a yakuza crime boss and they didn't go for the easy like they didn't make him like a muslim which would have been mm-hmm. really right. easy to do in um and lord knows that lots of other film and television did it so mm-hmm. just again yeah. another little note you know in its favor yeah yeah and it's not they because he's like, from hawaii too like that's what i thought they were going with and mm-hmm. i was like mm, yeah they just kind of went with like action film tropes, which I'm fine with. Like, yeah. you know, like it reminded me a bit of like if you're watching like Miami Connection mm-hmm. or like some kind of absurd thing where he's in like a karate dojo, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like, okay, why is he have a dojo? You know, I don't know. It's right. just silly. Because he's evil mm-hmm. and, you know, he's mm-hmm. got a m- bunch of money. So and he likes karate. Even, even the characters you don't, I don't like, like David Cochner's pilot who again is just a serial sexual harass and he does it in a way that he thinks is cute. Like, I don't think yeah, it's it would so much more annoying. Yeah, that way. It would never occur to him for a minute. Like, I don't think anyone has ever called him out. Like, dude, this is not cool. It's just one of those things that like, and it gets that industry of like being a flight attendant. It's almost like if you're going to 
be a flight attendant, expect to be sexually harassed, which is this really gross kind of yeah. mindset. Even his character has these moments of real competency. Like mm-hmm. there's a moment when like Samuel L. Jackson is like, here's what we need to do. He's like, I'll tell you what I need to do. I've got like a 200 foot long aluminum tin can that has this, this, and this that can go wrong with it. My job is to keep it in the air right now. And he proves mm-hmm. himself to be like a good pilot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's able yeah. to. He technically knows how to do right. his job. Um, whereas I think like, a lesser movie like the shorthand for his sexual harassment would also be he's also grossly incompetent in endangering people because of yeah. it. Yeah. Everybody like this movie is almost like competence porn. Like everybody is pretty good at what they do. Like Julia uh, Margolis, who would go on like for that's the good wife, right? Like she's the lead yeah. in that. Yeah. Carol from ER. Carol from ER. So like she's gone on to have like a very prolific career in television. Like you can see how she like has a really good bullshit detector. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's like getting out of this job. And I like how she's able to like, look like I'm doing the best I can to help everyone out right now. You need to like, listen to me. And then people like, Oh, okay. Except for the British dude. Like, I guess we do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I liked her character at the end of the day. You know, she's, fine yeah does yeah stuff not much to her not like super not a ton to her overall but yeah there's not a ton to really any yeah. of the characters they have like two notes at the most yeah. they'll be like i seem this way but actually i'm this yeah. way or right you know actually i'm quite competent okay i mean everything is a machine to get the silly plot to move along i'm just saying that's what makes the character like the gay coding that we mentioned earlier feel so yeah. out of place and so kind of egregious because i feel like he's not given any kind of yeah. humanity you know and mm. it's except that at the end he has a girl he actually does have a girlfriend uh-huh. Could you see it? jokes like, on you which yeah. is what i was talking about like i feel like that was 2006 is understanding of how to be progressive when portraying a gay character it's like it's which is just pathetic but you know it is what it is (laughs) yeah Yeah. and it's like that's the joke and it's almost like you know i we watch the simpsons pretty much every night like that's our dinner time show like we i make Mm -hmm. dinner we watch an episode and when you go back and watch it there's a lot of like really and it's not like i'm not saying cancel the simpsons although I mean, you probably should because it's like so far past its prime. (laughs) Or that 32 right now. Yeah, just literally cancel the show, not cancel the Um, show. But it's like a lot of the humor you're like, it's very, there's a lot of Uh, gay panic in The Simpsons. Yeah, especially around the character of Smithers. Mm -hmm. But then it's interesting, the episode where they have John Waters on, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, does a pretty okay job you know in terms of just like making fun of itself with the gay panic and stuff but like yeah. but, but but by and large there's some really bad stuff in there yeah. we just watched that one and even at the end homer is like still not necessarily accepting he's still mm-hmm. kind of like a bigot and they're like well oh, that's what we're gonna get you know like that is that's about it and they even say like that's as good close as we're gonna come but that's what i mean is that it's a little tongue-in-cheek mm-hmm. in terms of like they're they're recognizing that that's a lot of people's perspective mm-hmm. on it at the you know but but the smithers stuff is pretty unacceptable throughout yeah well and show. i just watched the episode homer Badman, which is when he is accused of making a sexual advance mm-hmm. and the women are very vilified in a way that i did yeah. not enjoy um but it's it's when like i and i think about stephen king kind of in this way too when there's oh that episode sucks uh-huh. i remember that one that one is pissed that me off so sweet much yeah or he take yeah the sweet sweet cans Candy, yeah that yeah. episode is the closest to being like almost a trumpian episode of right Simpsons, but. but i think like when there is such 
a gigantic body of work mm-hmm. too. like, yeah. and I think about this with Stephen King because he has his moments where I'm like, oh, you know, but like there's like we see the 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 bad moments, but we also see the good moments where it kind of I don't want to say it redeems those bad moments, but it's like we see much more of the nuance of the writers because there's a lot of humanity that I find in The Simpsons, too, and a lot of things oh, yeah. that I really enjoy about the writing. And it's just it's yeah. I don't know. And I think the the thing that I learned the older I get is just that very few things are black and white and there is a lot more gray than anything else. And it's just like, Laura, I keep thinking about like what you said about bad faith arguments and good faith arguments. Like if we can let ourselves have good faith arguments about things like this, then we can move the conversation forward. It's just the fact that we keep hitting these walls of people that are just like have, you know, ill intent. Yeah, And when you have to a lot of the dialogue that's happening is happening on social media platforms that are designed to only reward extreme takes Uh in one direction or another, because you're not going to engage, you know, I say the Royal you or not, you're not going to engage with like a level-headed conversation that is long and thoughtful Mm -hmm. uh, on these platforms. You're going to write your hot takes and then get a bunch of people to either outrage respond or retweet or share or what have you. Um, I mean, truly the platforms are designed to facilitate a certain type of conversation. And I can't, I really can't understate the role these platforms have in, you know, catering to the extremes of any conversation. And I just think it's like, they don't have to be used that way, but that's how they were, whether intentionally or unintentionally designed mm-hmm. and it kind of sucks yeah there was a profile this week i think it's on gabber i think the person who it was meant to be like an alternative to youtube in that the person who founded it felt it was too hard to like make to monetize youtube so he founded this site is it like it's a way where you can come and share like dumb pet videos and things like that and it's become like a platform for ultra white right wing nationalist it always does it always becomes the problem is he's embraced it he's like oh i guess i'll embrace this because now i'm rolling in the dough capitalism right well that's at the end of the day people realize you can make money off of these morons and then they just keep cashing it in and it keeps becoming rewarding rewarding that kind of dialogue like why is there a problem yeah 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 mm-hmm. and like i i understand not wanting to engage in those conversations because of being so like scarred by these bad faith arguments like i could completely understand someone uh, especially from the queer community not wanting to watch this movie at all because it is you know and that, i think that that's fine and there are things yeah. that i don't want to engage with because my like when i say like we need to have good faith conversations like i understand like part of me is like no i'm not going to keep extending my good faith to people that all always shut it down. And I think this is a conversation we've had before, so we don't need to belabor it. But, you know, I just, I understand all of the reactions to things like this. And I think we don't all have to participate in every conversation too, you know, like there's something going on right now on Twitter that I'm like, you know what? I don't need to engage with this. I'm just not going to, you know, it's just, again, it's have a little bit of fucking empathy and understand that like people's feelings are valid and Uh you don't, all have to perfect you can you can have a conversation about things without perfectly agreeing on it and you don't have to just bash each other and you don't have to be so reactive it's just like treat people like humans i don't understand why this is so hard we keep treating each other like snakes you know yeah (laughs) and then then we all just molten right yeah swallow the british lay lay eggs (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. what else do snakes do i don't really know (laughs) i don't know 
be evil. Yeah, there's part of me that really wanted wanted to dive down this whole like Medusa and like the Garden of Evil. Like, is like a fear of snakes really like is that like connected to fear of women and and sexuality? Which is interesting because they're so phallic, you know, they're right? Like the most obvious phallic yeah. symbol. Yeah. So I don't know. We could get we could go down. Maybe a bonus road. episode for another day. I'm not ready to really. Yeah. Unpack we'll do a that. bonus <laughs> Patreon as the gender the gender significance of the snake and 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 all of our bonus episodes will be like academic papers we could, do, <laughs> we could do i mean clash of the titans for sure oh yeah because we like there really is a lot to unpack there so there's yeah. so much that we could definitely release yeah the it's there so. okay well that makes me feel better that i'm not just you know searching for a soapbox to yell mm-hmm. on you know well if there's anything else we want to mention or shall we slither off into the sunset on this one let's slither away i kind of can't believe good. we've talked this long about i know it. Well, so we are going to briefly mention any other mental health topics we see. I don't know if we see anything else. I just wrote misogyny and the male gaze. Which I don't know if it counts. It's all just, yeah. It's worth mentioning. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And other movies that we see this in, um, we're not going to dig into this, but we just kind of want to mention any types of phobias or other things where we see this type of phobia mentioned. And I said Firestarter because there is a scene like, and it's more represented in the book, but part of the mental domination kite creates this ripple where a fear is like um, grossly like, exacerbated and so he starts seeing like garden hoses as snakes and it's really interesting also I well you know I've got a lot of thoughts about Firestarter Um, but that's where I see the fear of snakes coming in um, is it's a phobia that turns debilitating and then Anaconda Anaconda the only other one I could think of is literally the film Anaconda the first film I ever saw John Voight in by the way and I was like oh I don't know about him (laughs) because you know but Eric Stoltz is in that movie and he is a dream crush of mine so and then I also noted there's an episode of Frasier where (laughs) one of his patients has cholerophobia which is a fear of clowns and he talks about a lot of the steps of this exposure therapy and he starts with like a jack-in-the-box and her getting used to because it's like a pediatric nurse who has a fear of clowns and so she like can't work in her unit when there are clowns there Um, (laughs) and it it, but he's talking through all of this stuff and it's really funny because it escalates to him like dressing as a clown with like a meat cleaver and like scares his father into heart attack like it's it's a funny episode not that it's yeah he's Frazier yeah it's always very funny (laughs) yeah but it's interesting to see like as you were talking about the steps of it I was like it's like Frazier you know (laughs) also I love Frazier Good show. Well, and speaking of Fraser, and now it's time for an uplifting moment. Uplifting like a plane. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. A snake being charmed out of a its skin. I don't it's yeah. rattle. Um, yep. <laughs> clearly, we're not snake experts on this show. Clearly, um, no. Herp, 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 we're not herpetologists. Aurora, I'm more of a herpes tell. I don't know what. I, let's just leave me alone. Leave, leave me alone. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what it means. What does it mean? Just, somebody oh. throw me All right. into a hole. Oh. Um, so this is where we share any grounding and coping techniques or any self-care that's been particularly effective for us. And grounding and self-care are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help us get through the hard days or hard moments. And self-care is anything we do that makes us feel good or feel better. And I've mentioned that 
I moved to a new neighborhood and my neighbors are extremely social and we are all the same age. We have a lot of things in common. Like it's really fun. Um, I really like it, but I also have a lot of anxiety around being social. And so I've had to kind of combat that a little bit but we had s'mores last night nice. and so s'mores were part of my self-care they were really good but the other thing I've been doing is because they are because a lot of our like interaction involves me just like walking into my backyard and then walking over to their backyard like I've been leaving my phone at home like inside my own house while I'm kind of eating dinner with them or whatever or just kind of hanging around talking and it's been really nice like that's not something that I'm particularly good at is separating myself from my phone and it since it's so close it doesn't feel like such a big thing. It's just like, I don't want to carry this thing around and I don't have a purse with me. Um, and it's been really nice to kind of just have that time of like really kind of focusing on who I'm with in the moment and not necessarily like the just endless kind of cycling of mm -hmm. wanting to get the, the hit of adrenaline, you know? So, so yeah, that's been nice. I watched all of season one of resident alien. Yay! And I want more of it. Aww. Talk about this a bit more on our Patreon, one of our Patreon bonus episodes. So if you want to hear more details, you can subscribe, but I just, what a perfect show. Mm -hmm. What a delight, subtly kind and smart and funny and just catches you off guard. Doesn't try too hard. I just want more of it all day, every day. And Alan Tudyk is so funny and mm -hmm. it he is just so he was this was like the role he was born to play i'm really <laughs> glad to see him getting to shine because mm -hmm. he kind of gets a lot of these supporting roles mm -hmm. and he's so hot <laughs> i do have a crush i'm on sorry him. i just no. i have such a crush on him especially after this show because he's just so goofy mm -hmm. and weird in it and so funny mm -hmm. where okay, where are you watching it what are you watching it on i just i just bought the season on prime mm -hmm. because my mom was like watch it watch mm -hmm. it and then i was like fine i'll just buy the season i'm glad i did it was worth it because it was so good yeah so that's why, but it's a sci-fi channel show. Oh, nice. So it's, it's summertime. <laughs> We're two weeks out of school. I'm just down to working like the one day a week and it's glorious. It's just, I just feel <laughs> so energized. Like I need to find a way to only work one day a week for the rest of my life, I think. Mm -hmm. But what I've been doing a lot of is like setting like a writing goal for myself, like you know, a thousand words a day, four days a week. And what I've been doing, I'll get up, I'll do a few chores, and then I'll drive over. Like there is a new coffee shop, not really chain, but there's like three independent locations that are relatively near. And I'll just kind of bounce back and forth between them on different days, like get a coffee. And it is like a very hippie-ish, like we have coffee with mushroom stuff. And then I'm like, ah, hippies. But you know, that's... <laughs> But like there is something like glorious about like putting on my headphones, like throwing on like an instrumental band like Pelican and like banging out like a thousand to two thousand words over the course of like 90 minutes. And it's just my mm. time. And it feels so satisfying. It feels like I got this done. And I'm even if it's not the best writing in the world and needs to be polished up. It's just been like this really peaceful morning routine for me and when i'm done that i feel like great i can do pretty much anything else i want today so mm -hmm. my self-care has been like just tending to that uh, a few days a week and it feels really good i said man summer vacation mike just gets <laughs> shit done i love it <laughs> summertime mike nice well we want to hear from you how do you feel about snakes 
How do you feel about planes? How do you feel about snakes on planes? And what is your catchphrase? I guess you can answer all of these questions and more by following us at Psycho A Pod on all the socials. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group. It is private and moderated where we can share about episode topics, mental health stuff, or anything else that's on our mind. And you can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you want to share privately. And if you have a moment and you would like to give us a five-star review on Apple iTunes, that would be super helpful. So thank you for the people who Do have it, already please. done that. But yeah, it would really it would really help. And Do it. our homework question for the week is tell us your worst plane story. Mm. And this is specifically designed to draw Devin Sawa out so that he will be friends with me and become a guest on the podcast. <laughs> so I overheard somebody in one of my pottery classes, if you need an example, tell a story that, that you know, the first like one of the first times they got on a plane by themselves, they were 12 years old and this was pre-smartphone. And uh, they uh, uh, the guy in the seat in front of him died <gasps> mid-flight and they put his body and like the seats near him and like covered him with a sheet. And then they had to like ground the plane and he got stuck in another city overnight. And like, he had to like, cause he was going to see from his parents to his grandparents. And then he was telling the story and he was like, yeah, that's why I don't like flying. And I, and I turned around uh, in the middle of the pottery class and said, and that's why God makes Xanax. And he didn't laugh. <laughs> oh. He did not laugh. Oh. <laughs> anyway, that's the end of that story. <laughs> Start of a great meet cute, but no, the dude is just an asshole. Oh, no, 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 no. That was not going to happen. <laughs> Nobody in that pottery class was very social, uh, but I did enjoy the pottery. Yeah. Excellent. Mean mugs. <laughs> so we're going to take a moment to give a quick shout out to some of our new patrons. Yeah, it's been awesome. Like we've just started it and the response has been like amazing so far. So thank, oh, you, thank you so much. So I want to thank uh, and all three of these have joined us at the Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter, which is $5 a month, the $5 level. Like, what is the $10 level? That would be Mads Milkelson, Mads Milkelson, who is, and you're just starting Hannibal, right? Mads Milkelson. I am, yeah. Are you? Yeah. Are you? What are your thoughts so far? Oh, Mads Mickelson is hot. It's super fun. One of my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, and uh, Jillian Anderson just showed up and I was like, I want to see them make out. The two of them together, between them and Hugh Dancy, it's like three of the most beautiful people. I just want to die. Anyway, Catherine Isabel shows up in season two Mm -hmm. and I love Mm -hmm. Catherine Isabel so much. So it is like a show of beautiful people doing not so Mm. beautiful things. Yeah. But, but shot in really beautiful yes, ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm really digging um, it. But this is these are about three different beautiful people right here. So <laughs> yes. first, I want to say thank you so much to Amber Schroeder, to Laura S. And I hope I get this right. I probably wrote Dindrani. <laughs> thank you so much for signing on. Oh, that makes me happy. Excellent. Okay. So, so Thank you so much, everyone, for like signing on. Um, we have I just posted like June's content. We, you know, usually it would have been um, a little bit different tiering thing, but I just made both things we posted like up for all the patrons um, for the first month to say thank you for hopping on board. So if you mm-hmm. go to patreon.com right now slash psychoanalysis podcast, um, there are four different tiers three and one of them is like a one-time only you know give us a little bit of extra money and we will let you pick the movie and the topic and we'll interview you for the show 
but like it's like three bucks, five bucks, ten bucks. There's bonus material at all of those. Um, I just put up the treatment plan, which we look at the characters from A Nightmare on Elm Street. We talk about nightmare disorder and lucid dream therapy. And then we also have up like our medicine chest, which is the three of us giving you our picks for like the media we're consuming. And the cost, you know, what you bring to the table, like the contributions go to us, like putting on the show, making it bigger, making it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't thank you enough. So psychoanalysis podcast over at patreon.com. Yes. Thank you so much. It really means a lot to us. And we've got one of those thank um, you. guest su- guest suggestion or Patreon suggested we do. We topics have two. coming yeah. up. We yeah. Have, we've got two in the hopper and one I think we've kind of one we know planned out doing. a little bit. And it's yeah, a topic so. that's like near and dear to my heart. So it'll mm-hmm. be it'll be a pretty emotional episode. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. about yeah. about that month because, yes, I, I have. Yeah. Yes. So thank you, patrons. Uh, so what's next for us? Uh, we have another comfort horror episode. And I'm so excited because the movie we're talking about stars one of my absolute dream crushes. Um, we are going to be joined by Mary Beth McAndrews of the Scarred for Life podcast and the Watched Once Never Again podcast to talk about Josh Hartnett in the movie 30 Days of Night. <laughs> so I imagine we'll <laughs> talk about the movie. Um, hope I didn't make it just weird. just Josh Hartnett. <laughs> yeah. I'll get back to Josh Hartnett Corner. Yeah, we're going to be talking about 30 Days of Night, which um, hopefully will cool some of us off from the heat of summer. So I'm excited <laughs> about that. And we are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. You can find us here and there, along with some other great pods, by going to consequence.net. And Mike, where can we find you? So you can find me over on the socials at Mike underscore or Snoonian. Follow me there. You can follow our other show. I almost said the name of this one, The Pod <laughs> and the Pendulum, which I co-host with Lindsay Travis. We are in the middle doing the Conjuring series. We have an episode out right now where our guest is Mishnah Wolf, who is the writer of the fantastic werewolf comedy Werewolves Within. It was a really mm. fun interview. And then we talk about The Conjuring too which is a great movie. I actually really like that. But you can find the pod and the pendulum wherever you get your podcast. And to get you here, like, pretty like what you hear here from me, where it's a bit looser today, like, that's pretty much what I'm like, oh, it's a little bit different version of me. It's like perpetual vacation. Yeah, yeah. It (laughs) it really is. And I'll say, like, I feel like about both shows, like, I never walk out of, like, recording with both with both of you and also with like Lindsay where I don't feel completely energized like just I feel awesome like and she's like we had an awesome conversation about stuff we want to do going forward so we might have some like new segments and stuff for the show in the Mm. future like she's just like absolutely brilliant like all three of you are absolutely brilliant to do this show with so yeah thanks we feel the same agreed (laughs) yes about you not uh, i mean no feel that way about yourself do it feel it probably should more actually (laughs) maybe that would help me (laughs) there Um, laura where can we find you well you can find me on twitter at underalls u-n-d-e-r-a-l-l-s much like the things you wear under your pants such as cotton underwear whoa what is this is this a snake Is this a fucking snake in my pants? Oh, no. What the fuck? I've had enough of these motherfucking snakes in my motherfucking pants. (laughs) That's at underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S on Twitter. Uh, I'm occasionally on Losers Club and Halloweenies as well. I'm actually tonight 
planning to go out to, you know, it's going to, by the time this, this is published, it'll be long gone, but going out to Music Box here in Chicago for the first time since the pandemic to see Stand By Me and appear see Rothman. I think Randall Colbert might be yeah. there or somebody else. I'm not sure, but um, I'm really go looking forward to that. Go. I'm so sad. Oh, that would have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> As people don't know, like we have never actually met each other. <laughs> I know. Else. Yeah. <laughs> well, anytime. You know, before everything falls apart again, come on down right. to Chicago. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can find me at Jim Ferratu on um, all of the socials. And you can also find me co-hosting the Losers Club podcast. We are wrapping up Lisey's story right now. And I just last night started reading Lord of the Flies for the first time for a Dawn's Macabre episode we're going to do. And maybe got some screeners for Chapel Wait, so I'm excited about that. You can also find me on the White Ladies in Crisis podcast with uh, Joe Lipsett and Gina Radcliffe, where we're talking about the the Apple Plus show Physical, which has been really fun. And you can find me writing in various places. And I just did a guest episode on the Pike cast talking about The Witch, so not on brand for me at all. Um, and <laughs> that should be dropping, um, I think, maybe today, any day now, but I'll make sure to post it too. So yeah, that's where you can find me. And yeah, and so that's our episode on Snakes on a Plane. Um, this was really fun. Uh, dare I say maybe more fun than watching the movie? <laughs> much more. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, please make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we're, and we're, and we're all, all out of bubblegum. <laughs> Plane. <laughs> That's my plane. <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, it's kind of on brand for the movie. So. Consequence Podcast Network.